Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. We are so excited to be with you today. Y'all look amazing in your sweatpants, your t-shirts. Who knew, right? My daughter calls those your baby jammies, your baby jammies. So I wonder if today's going to set a new trend in the clothing we wear for Easter. If it's not dress clothes, church clothes, fancy dresses, maybe it's baby jammies. How many of you say amen to that? Yeah, yeah. I think many of us will never forget Easter 2020, where a virus forced us to participate in the most highly anticipated and highly attended church service of the year in our living rooms, maybe in our cars alone during a work break, in your baby jammies, in the comforts of your home, where you watched worship leaders lead and preachers get up and preach to basically empty rooms. It is very surreal, isn't it? I find it very, very surreal. And I'm going to be really honest with you. At first, months ago, I was scheduled to preach today, and this is not what I pictured. This is not at all what I had imagined Easter Sunday looking like for the body of believers and for the people that would attend churches on Easter Sunday. But um, I was sharing just with the Lord, like, I'm having a hard time getting excited about this, God, about being excited to preach to a camera instead of a room full of people, because being with people is something that really energizes me personally. And so empty rooms felt a little bit anticlimactic for Easter Sunday. And I knew the people in my specific room were going to be saved already. So unless our genius Dave Little is getting saved again today, the altar call is going to be real short today. And if you just said amen to that, you're getting saved today. So, um, David, I just want to speak to you publicly really quick. This wasn't planned, but um, you have been one of the most faithful servants of seeing the church move forward that I have personally known for the last 18 years. We've gotten to do ministry together for all of those years, and you have done an extraordinary job of staying the course, despite the discouragement. You have stayed the course. You have made all of this possible. And so just a huge shout out to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And also to the rest of our team, to the band, Phil, to Holly Schaefer, to um, Taylor Little, who's worked so tirelessly to keep Kids Church in front of our kids. Taylor, thank you. To Peyton White, who has kept it in front of our students, all the Zoom calls and all the drop-offs and her entire team, the headmans, all the people that come around them to make that possible. Team, thank you. This is really incredible, and I'm very, very proud of you. So as a people, we've had to work to adapt, haven't we? We've had to adapt to this season that is so different than what we imagined. I didn't imagine you in your baby jammies today. I guess that's probably a good thing. But God's teaching us to adapt. And I really believe that this is a significant year for us. I believe that we are perfectly positioned right now in this time in history to experience a mighty move of God. See, I think this time in history is really profound and really important, and we are alive right now to see it happen. It is marking us, friends. This season of our life is changing us and marking us, and we will never be the same again. 
So I want to be really clear. I don't believe that God is the one that caused this virus to attack our world. No, that's the playground of the enemy of God. His, God's word says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And even in our own church body, we've had some sickness. We've had people lose loved ones, not from COVID, but just death has hit. And we say, no, this is not the work of God. But I do believe that the Lord is allowing this attack to strengthen us, to wake the church of Jesus up. It is time that we wake up and it is time that we begin to realize that this isolation that the enemy has tried to put us in is going to be used for God in a really powerful way. Second Chronicles talks about the fact that at times in our history, we will experience where rain doesn't fall from heaven, where uh, the locusts will eat all of the crops, where uh, plague will strike the land. And how many know we've experienced all of those things now, right? Yeah, yeah as a body, as an entire world, we are going through the same thing. But look at this. Even though it feels like this incredibly huge pause button has been hit on our lives, that's how I feel. Like pause has been hit and everything has halted. Look at what it says in Second Chronicles 7.14, just a, right after that verse where it talks about the plagues hitting. It says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. So friends, I feel like today I'm supposed to challenge us. It is of utmost importance that we take those three instructions from the Lord for this very season, that we would humble ourselves and pray. I'm not talking these little flare prayers like, hey God, can you handle this? Like I'm talking humility before the throne of God, face down in our bedrooms or in our, our private closets, whatever it looks like, where we say, God, we clearly have no control. We thought we controlled our lives. We thought that we had all of this power to figure out and to step into the things that we knew we were going to accomplish. And clearly we do not. So we must humble ourselves and pray, and we must seek God's face through this time. May our children see us humbled and seeking the face of God in a whole new way, in a way that they have never seen us do up until this COVID-19 hit. And then finally, number three, and I think this is really the most important, it says we must turn from our wicked ways. For most of us, the one thing that we have right now is time right? We've got time to notice things that previously our rushed lifestyles had put into the quietness. They had been overshadowed. Things that we are recognizing in our own spirits and our own souls, our own habits, that once COVID-19 is over, those things need to be off the radar. They need to be out of our lives. And I believe that while the enemy tried to use this dark blanket to overshadow the church of Jesus, that God's going, uh-uh, you better step back, devil, because I am awakening my church. I am raising up warriors that you are going to be sorry you disturbed. God is allowing this to clean us up, you guys. And he's saying, turn, turn from anything in your life that is wicked, so I want you to ask yourself, when this is all done, what are the things that I need to not be taking back into my habits, back into my lifestyle, back into my routine? What are the things that I have 
to turn from. See, I believe fully that the enemy misjudged the church of Jesus when this attack was launched. I believe that God is using it to give us a massive delete button. The enemy pushed pause. God's going, guess what? Here is the delete button, friends. Here it is. Delete it out of your life. Let it be gone. Let it be behind you. And we are going to move forward so that when the pause is pushed and life plays on, we are new creations in Jesus. I just, I really think that, guys. I really think the enemy is trembling because of the church of Jesus. He thought he had the upper hand, and he is about to be obliterated. So today, um, as I stand up here and I preach to just a handful of you and to however many of you are tuning in, thank you for tuning in. We're so happy you're with us. I was sharing with Jesus last week, God, I'm just struggling to be excited about this. I'm, ex- I'm struggling to feel the enthusiasm I usually feel when I preach because I love evangelism, and I love people, and an empty room feels short of what I had expected. And this is what he said so graciously, so clearly to me. He said, my greatest miracles started in nearly empty rooms. They started in nearly empty rooms. He said, so the enemy misjudged. He thought clearing churches and clearing businesses, that it was crafty. He said he was wrong. He was wrong because my miracles start in empty rooms. And I said, Lord, what, what are you talking about? And he says, well, remind the people of the power they have within them. And so I want to remind you, Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. It lives in you, Becca. It lives in you, Kip. It lives in you, Blake. And it lives in you, every one of you tuning in. The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead on Resurrection Sunday is what's within us. Amen? And it says, he will give life to our mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So while this spirit of fear has begun to rise to the surface today in all of society, I want to remind us that that is the work of the demonic. That is not of God. The demonic is, has the characteristic of fear, but the spirit of God takes that fear and it replaces it with faith and with peace. So where fear has tried to manipulate your own personal life, I want to speak the peace of God over you right now. And I want you all right now, in whatever room you're in, no matter how empty it is, even if you're all alone, completely isolated, especially isolated, I want you to say out loud, God is about to move. God is about to move. And church, we need to take heart because we are here for it today. We are alive for this move today. So while it felt like the enemy was winning this round, this round in 2020 that we all thought was going to be a year of this great revival, I believe it's coming because empty churches and empty businesses on Easter Sunday morning are the perfect setup for God's next great move in empty rooms. So here is the point today. Empty rooms are where Jesus' greatest miracles started. So don't be afraid. Here's the examples. Jesus was born into a dark, nearly isolated room. No hype, no help from anyone, no celebration, just the emptiness of a room. And the greatest miracle of all times was born 
into that empty space. And the second one is the point that we're celebrating today, right? The empty tomb. How many know that the miracle of eternity was birthed when that tomb became empty? When Jesus stepped out and he conquered death and we realized, oh, the story is not over. The prophecies of the Old Testament, guess what? They are truth. And so it's my really strong belief that this dark, empty Easter that many of you are up against, that many of you are feeling isolated in, it is not a setback for Jesus. In fact, it is a set up for God's next big miracle, for the next big revival that we a people are going to experience in our lifetime. May this be. And we the church are saying, step back, Satan. Coronavirus has nothing on us. Your fear has nothing on us because you have rallied us and we are awake. So the point is the name of Jesus. He's the name above all names. He is the one above all disease. He is the one over all death. He is the one over fear. Jesus is the one who conquered death and left an empty tomb as our proof that he is who he says he is. <coughs> Excuse me. So today, Jesus in your personal life is starting the work of revival within you in the dark and empty seclusion of your heart. He says, you're not alone. Jesus can work with our emptiness. How many know that's a really good thing, right? I think the emptiness, the dark places, and when, when we most recognize our need for a savior, when we most recognize our need for that desperate place to be filled. Last week, my dear friend Phil kicked off this series called Here's the Point, and he shared such incredible truth from the Old Testament where he talked about the prophecies of Jesus. And the thing that most stuck out to me that I loved, that I loved that he brought this to, to the surface of all of our minds, was that the Old Testament is, literally has hundreds of prophecies that the Messiah would come and that we've now realized that it's Jesus. But those were written over a hundred years, possibly more, before Jesus was ever born. And so Jesus couldn't possibly, those, those, those prophecies couldn't possibly have been written to fit the life of a baby that was being born or to uh, mimic the life of a child growing up. They had to have been in stone before, long before Jesus ever hit this world. And I think it just reminds us that, that he is, superseding everything that is around us today, that this was all planned out long before, not the attacks of the enemy, but the, the offense that Jesus would bring for us in order to help move the church forward. Now, the New Testament is so exciting because it is where we see that the prophecies of the Old Testament long before Jesus are being fulfilled through the life of Jesus. So the New Testament is those fulfilled prophecies down to the most minute detail. Last week, I laughed out loud in my baby jammies on my living room couch when Phil talked about the specific donkey, that it was the prophecies are so specific that we even know the type of donkey that Jesus was to ride into the city in, right? So go listen to the podcast. It's so cool. Now, I want to share just two examples also from the Old Testament, but then show you where they are fulfilled in the New Testament. 
So the first one is in Genesis 3.15. It says the Messiah will come from the seed of a woman born of a virgin. You all probably know that. You're aware of that. The second one is in 2 Samuel 7. It's a, a prophecy spoken through the prophet Nathan to King David, to David, the servant of God. And he says this, for when you, David, die and you are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. So here are the prophecies that the Messiah must be born of a woman, born of a virgin and of the line of David. Here is where those are fulfilled in the New Testament, Matthew 1.18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary, woman, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the prophecy fulfilled right there. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, though, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Guys, pay attention to your dreams. Sometimes they're incredible. I had one last night that I was like, wow, God, you are amazing. He says this, Joseph, son of David, prophecy fulfilled. The angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this has occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, which said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until he was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, the final prophecy I want us to look at today from the Old Testament, it's that the Messiah would be crucified by his enemy, which would have been the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the enemy of the Jews. It says this in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, 16, that the Messiah would be delivered to the Gentiles for judgment, and they would pierce his hands and his feet. That means crucifixion. Now, it is so important for us to know this. That time in history that Jesus was being put on trial, it was during the Roman occupation of Palestine. And so the Romans had conquered these areas and these people, and they would allow some sort of like home rule, if you would, for their group, for their people. But they did not permit them to implement the death penalty. So the Jews had no authority to put Jesus to death. He was one of their own. They could not put him to death. So they had to go to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and ask him, will you, will you handle this? Will you deal with this? You have the authority to crucify this person, to kill this person. So Jesus was delivered by his own people, the Jews, into the hands of the enemy, the Gentiles. Now, the Jews at that time did all of their executions by stoning, while the Gentiles did it by crucifixion, a prophecy fulfilled. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who is, it, it does not say, cursed is everyone who is stoned. It says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So had Jesus been stoned, he would have not fulfilled the prophecy that he would be on a tree. 
John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That's the prophecy fulfilled that he would be crucified on a tree. So the word of God is full of hundreds of these. I ask you, go study them. We sent out an email last week of all of those prophecies. They are literally incredible. You will be blown away by this. But here's an important point that you've got to get today. You've got to listen to this. God's word does not say we are saved by proof, meaning I tell you the prophecy, I show you the proof of the prophecy. No, it says that we are saved by faith, not by proof. So many of you today are waiting to step towards Jesus until you've got the proof. And the proof is not coming until your faith is activated. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, meaning you can't boast about this. No matter how intelligent you are, no matter how good you are at interpreting scripture, this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. Recently, I was telling my kids, hey, guys, that, you know, mom's going to preach on Easter. What's one thing you think people really need to know about Jesus? And my eight-year-old son, Crosley, spoke up right away. He's such a leader. He said, mom, they need to know that he still does miracles. Yeah. He said, we know this because he healed me. And Crosley was right. When he was an infant, he was born. He ended up for the next five months going through surgeries. And time and time and time again, God pulled our son off of death door. So my family knows our faith has been built because of the miracles that God is still doing. And then my three-year-old Colin, she pipes up and she eagerly says, people need to know that God answers our prayers. And we know this because I prayed for Crosley's hurt knee and now it's healed. And like eight weeks had passed, but you know. (laughs) And then I said to my son Wilder, who we call Bubby, I said, Bubby, is there anything that you want to add, buddy? And he says, nah, that's good. (laughs) How many of you know we need laughter in these seasons of darkness, right? Here's what I needed to learn from my kids that day and what maybe you need reminded of too. I had forgotten to focus on the miracles. I had allowed the enemy to start stealing the joy from my life because of this crazy, crazy attack that we have all been under. And immediately, God reminded me of the most recent miracle in my family, which happened just days before coronavirus hit. And I want to share with you because I think this is going to increase your faith. My husband and I have prayed for this for 16 years together, and we have seen zero movement in it. Zero until we got a text message from my father-in-law, Mike. And he said, hey, I've got something I want to share with you guys, but I I really kind of want to tell you in person, can I come over? So he drove from Bloomington, and he joined us in a home that we're scheduled to close on in a few weeks. The inspections were happening, and the moment he walked through that door of that empty house, I knew that something major had shifted in him. Something was different. And just minutes later, my husband arrived home, and Mike starts to tell us, he said, I came here today to tell you that this past Sunday, I gave my life to Jesus. And guys, my husband does not cry. He is not a crier, and he started to sob. And he grabbed his dad into the biggest bear hug you can imagine, and he wept. And his dad said, wow, I did not expect this reaction. 
because he did not know that for 16 years we had been asking, Jesus, would you save our dad? So we sobbed knowing because Jesus is now part of Mike's eternity. Jesus is now part of the, this great legacy alterating movement in the Bolt family. It's a really big deal. But here's where it started. Years ago, granddad went home to be with Jesus, his dad, and his mom moved to Bloomington to be near family. Now, Nana loves Jesus. And so, of course, she wanted to find a church home. If you're moving, find a church home. Do not let time go by before you find your church home. And so she asked for him to help her find a church. And so Mike's a really good son, and he helped her find some churches. And the night before, on Saturday, he started to feel guilt that he was going to let his mama go in a new city to a new church all by herself. And so he said, Mom, you know, I'm going to go with you to church just one time, one time, just to get you settled, just to acclimate you, help you find your parking, and then that's it. And he said, I went that one day, and I, shockingly, I did not hate it. And he said, so we decided that we would go again. And now five years later, they have been going again and again and again. And Mike has met with the pastor to talk about his questions of faith, to talk about what does this all mean? And that pastor has been so faithful to meet with him and to mentor him and to disciple him. And then that pastor decided he was retiring. And the elders of the church told the church, they said, we're hiring a new pastor, but we need to warn you, it's very different than what we're used to. This is very unique. And come to find out it's a female pastor a female pastor with a very difficult past who was abandoned by her children or by her parents as a young child, she and her sister, who she and her husband have served in prison ministry most recently. This woman brought to central Illinois to speak to the heart of a privileged, comfortable man. My father-in-law said tears started falling down his face when she got up and she started sharing her story. And he said, it hit me. If a woman who has walked through this much hurt can receive the love of a savior, my privileged self surely can too. He said, she gave an altar call. I will forever love altar calls. <laughs> oh, man. And he said, as soon as she said it, he said, I stood up out of my chair and I started walking towards the front. He said, and the thought hit my mind, Mike, well, everyone is looking at you. He said, and my feet just kept on walking he said, I got to the front, and I fell on my knees, and I wept. And Kip and I are just bawling hearing this story. He can't even keep it together today. Because we've prayed for this for 16 years. And God sent a female pastor from prison ministry with a tragic background to heal Mike. Jesus is moving today, guys. This has hit me that Mike's salvation is forever the first memory in that empty home. That miracle, that birth of the family legacy being shifted happened in that empty space. So do not stop praying. Do not stop asking for your miracle. Do not stop taking your requests before, before the Father, even if it's 16 years, even if it's you're 63 years old and you are finally humbling yourself before the Savior. I believe that this day is going to mark you forever. You're going to experience what love actually is. I want us to look at 1 John 316, 
Don't confuse this with John 3.16. That's a great verse. Amazing. You probably all know it. But this is um, towards the end of the New Testament. It's 1 John 3.16, and it says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. You know, with this virus present, we have all taken this major step back from one another, haven't we? We've created this distance between one another. And yet Jesus' example that we're supposed to be emulating is that he did the exact opposite. Jesus stepped towards us. Jesus stepped towards us when evil was present. Jesus stepped toward us when our sin was present. Jesus steps towards the empty rooms of all of our souls because that is what his real love does for us. But see, we are so closely associated with our sins that sometimes it takes something radical, like a virus hitting the entire world, or like Jesus going to the cross to get our attention that we are not in control, that we cannot handle this without a Savior. Jesus steps in to say, yeah, this evil, this sin, it's not going to overtake you because I have taken it by the blood. Jesus is the one who came to overcome the sin of the world. Phil talked last week about the fact that the Gentiles being allowed to be saved was a miracle. And, you know, it hit me like, why, why is that? Why would most people sitting here go, what's the big deal? It's because we're the Gentiles and we are the ones who crucified him. And he says, yeah, you too, you get to be saved. You, Heidi, you, the people, I have come to heal division. I have come to make a way where there was literally no way that a group of people who hated one another would be in the same viewpoint of God the Father. Jesus is literally the healing of division and barriers between God and man. So I need you to ask yourself right now, you are isolated, you are in a quiet room, so you have no one to be embarrassed in front of. What division... (coughs) Guys, I'm losing my voice. What division is between God and you right now? What division needs to be removed from your life. And as you sit in the quiet and you reflect on that, I want you to imagine this scene. Your doorbell rings right now. And of course, you're the only one home or maybe just your family because, hello, shelter in place. So you skeptically, very cautiously, go to the front door. You know you've not ordered pizza because that virus can live on that cardboard box. Heaven forbid you would get it from that cardboard box. And you just crack the door open a tiny bit, and immediately you recognize him. You recognize that smile. You recognize the look in his eye. And you hear yourself before you can even catch yourself saying, no, 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 Jesus, please, can you just step back about six feet? Just six feet. Like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I I cannot shake your hand. I definitely cannot hug you. Jesus, I'm worried what you might expose me to. I'm I'm worried what being around you might might cause me to uh, pick up. What I might have to step into if I'm around. Yeah, my, my rooms are desperate and empty and isolated. But Jesus, I'm just too afraid. The cost of associating with you, Jesus, like it might cost me my life. And the smile never leaves his face. 
because he loves you that much. He steps six feet back, and he says, yeah. As he stretches out his hands to you, he says, trust me, I know the risk of associating with you. I know full well the cost of stepping in close to you. I am forever marked because I stepped close to you, because I gave my life for you. Jesus says, I know what it feels like. It feels like nails the size of tent pegs going through my hands and my feet. It feels like a spear in my side. It feels like my lungs drowning in my own blood. The cost of associating with you, that's what it feels like. feels like people I love turning their backs and denying they ever knew me. That's what it feels like. He goes on to say, my body being broken was so that you could be made whole. Being rejected by people that loved me and I loved them, that was so you could be chosen. Jesus says this current hardship, it will mark you. He says, and my greatest hardship marked me for you. And just before you decide if you're going to open the door and let Jesus in, he says, by the way, I did it for you. I did it for the one person at this door with the empty rooms behind you, with the isolations behind your hardened heart. I was marked on a death on a cross so that you could be marked by me for eternity. And so I wonder who needs to let Jesus in today? Who needs to open the door and say, Jesus, that's me. I need you to come in and I need you to clean me up. That is exactly what my father-in-law said. He said, I hit my knees and I said, God, I need you to clean me up. So God is doing this incredible cleaning. Do you know that the Jews used Passover as an opportunity to clean out their homes, to get rid of things they no longer need, both physically and spiritually? And may this be our awakening to clean out the rooms of our hearts, the rooms of our souls that these things can no longer exist within. May we see that this hardship is marking us and changing us and that there is a great point for it. It's so that we know that Jesus is our everything because you know what? We need him because literally no one else is coming. On a day where we gather and we celebrate, it's us. It's you and it's Jesus. And so we, the believers of, of Jesus, we have got to shift. We've got to shift away from fear and we have got to step in to the promises of God. Here's one of the promises I've been claiming over my own family. Psalm 91, 9 and 10. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. See, there are prophecies yet to be fulfilled in the New Testament, and they are in the book of Revelation. Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ to the world. And I wonder, Jesus, those prophecies in Revelation that you have yet to fulfill, would you reveal them in our time, Jesus? Would you use this right now to begin to move your your kingdom forward? despite what we are going through. On this Easter that feels empty and isolated, may you, Jesus, come in and do a work in our heart that literally no one else can do. 
with all of the all of the the things that would distract us on Easter behind us not available to us Jesus would you do this work it starts in our empty rooms in our empty living rooms in the isolation of your own bedroom by yourself something you never imagined on Easter Sunday and Jesus says that's the room I'm going to start my next great miracle Revelation 1 says he is coming soon. And Revelation ends in chapter 22 by by saying, Behold, I am coming soon. And so while we have given all of this attention to preparing for a virus, I want to ask us, have we even thought to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Have we even thought to realize that the hour of Christ is so near, and yet many of us are are not choosing to see the signs, to see the wonders that are described in Revelation. 5.9 of Revelation says, For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, and the people of every single nation. We have never experienced this in our history. We're literally, everyone on the planet is going through the same thing. And I think that's the point. We can finally understand and have compassion for what we are going through. Church, after we have suffered a little while and our eyes are finally opened, I believe we're going to see revival hit this world like we have never seen. And I believe millions of souls are stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ even right now. If you need to do that, if you need to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't need any hype. Just like Jesus was born in an empty stable, you can just turn to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I need you to clean me up. I'm a sinner, and I want to be a son of God. I want to be a daughter of God. And that is literally all you do. And then if you need help connecting to a local church, message us. Message us at Church214 on Instagram. We will connect you to a local church. Or if you're here in the Peoria area, we will help disciple you through what this means to know this Jesus that we talk about. So I'm going to leave you with this. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore He will support and he will strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Friends, Jesus is our firm foundation and an isolated Easter is nothing to be afraid of because his miracles are starting in these empty rooms, in the empty spaces that he is working on for our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your son conquered death, that you used the cross as the proof, Lord God, to build our faith, that you are who you say you are. 
So, Lord, in these empty rooms, will you start your next greatest miracles? God, would you heal those who are listening that need a healing hand from you? And, God, the, the hearts that are far from you, would you literally, like a magnet, use that to pull them into who you are, oh, God? Lord, we know that you are alive in resurrection power. And so there is nothing, there is no attack, there is no virus, there is no darkness, there is no sickness, there is no sin that can separate us from your love because you conquered those divisions between God and man. And God, we are ready for your next move. So God, would you use this season of brokenness for the move that you want to do in every single one of us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.